Good evening, brothers and sisters in the faith. Welcome to another episode of the BHP, the Bible History Project. Our topic for tonight is the Tabernacle, a picture of our King in Moshiach Yahusha. Before we go ahead and proceed, let us all stand for our prayer of thanksgiving. Everlasting Father, we again assemble before your holy presence. Yahuwah Elohim in heaven, may you have mercy and compassion upon your people. May you please forgive our sins that we can receive fully the message that you want us to understand and put into practice. Father, please bless those who will listen to your holy words, for it is what nourishes and strengthens us. Help us, Father, that we will be enlightened by your teachings to be fully prepared for our upcoming celebration and observance of the Day of Atonement. Our King Yahushua, you are at the center of everything. You are the living word, the logos. You are the purpose of all creation. And because of you, we have access to the Father. We ask and beg of you to be in our midst. May you please strengthen our faith and bless our hearts continually that we can always be with you forevermore. Father, bless your people tonight, wherever we may be. May you heal us of our sicknesses. May you give us strength. May you bless those who are going through suffering. You are the source of our everything. And so we make you as our shelter and refuge. Please send forth your Holy Spirit. We ask and beg everything, Father, in the name of our Lord and Savior, Yahusha Hamashiach. Amen. Okay, brothers and sisters, welcome to another episode of the Bible History Project. Our topic for tonight is all about the tabernacle. And the reason why we're studying all about the tabernacle is because when we look at the Day of Atonement services or observance, it centers around the tabernacle. However, when we look at the overall picture of what the tabernacle represents, it does point forward to and foreshadows the coming of our King Yahusha together with his work of redemption. This is why when we look at the details and the elements involved with the use of the tabernacle, we will see a picture of our King Yahusha. And when we say a picture of Yahusha, we're not talking about a literal Kodak picture. We're talking about a metaphorical image and because Yahusha fulfills the very purposes of why Yahuwah established the tabernacle in the first place for the people of ancient Israel. So we need to understand, however, uh, to get to get a clear idea of why the tabernacle points to Yahushua, we need to understand two very crucial aspects of our father Yahuwah. What is that? What is one characteristic of our father Yahuwah, our almighty God in heaven, that we need to understand and is reflected in the system established through tabernacles. Let's read here in the book of Habakkuk, chapter 1, the verses 13. But know how, but how can you stand these treacherous evil men? Your eyes are too holy to look at evil, and you cannot stand the sight of people doing wrong. So why are you silent when, while they destroy people who are more righteous than they are? So the Bible reveals throughout scripture that one of the chief characteristics of Yahuwah Abba is his holiness. And this is something many people forget. Many people say Yahuwah is a God of love, a God of compassion, which is absolutely true. 
because that's who God is. Yahuwah himself says he is love. And so Yahuwah is love. However, we need to see the complete picture of who Yahuwah is. And the Bible says he is holy. In fact, the Bible says your eyes are too holy to look at evil. You're too holy that you cannot stand the sight of people doing wrong. As a matter of fact, because of the holiness of Yahuwah, there are limits to how people can relate to him and approach him. Even when Yahuwah established his covenant with his people Israel, there were certain limitations and boundaries when it comes to people having fellowship with Yahuwah Almighty. In the book of Exodus 19, 10 to 12, and Yahuwah said to him, go to the people and tell them to spend today and tomorrow purifying themselves for worship. They must wash your clothes and be ready the day after tomorrow. On that day, I will come down on Mount Sinai where all the people can see me. Mark a boundary around the mountain that the people must not cross and tell them not to go up the mountain or even get near it. If any of you set foot on it, you are to be put to death. And so even during that time when Yahuwah, at the sound of trumpets, descended from heaven to the mountain called Mount Sinai to establish a covenant with his people Israel, Yahuwah said there are limits to how the people can relate to him. This is because of the holiness of Yahuwah. And so even before Yahuwah would descend to the mountain, the instruction to the people of Israel was to prepare themselves. So they would spend two days purifying themselves, washing their clothes, renewing their life, being cleansed in preparation for the third day when Yahuwah will descend from heaven to the mountain. However, even then, uh, they are to back off from the mountain itself. There were certain boundaries and limitations. And so this tells us Yahuwah is holy. He's so holy, we who are sinful human beings, there are limits to how we can relate to him and approach him. So we need to know that an important aspect of Yahuwah is his holiness. Because he's so holy, there are natural barriers that separate us from him and ourselves, namely sin. But because Yahuwah is all about love, because of his love, there's something that Yahuwah did. What is that? In Galatians 4, 4 to 7, but when the right time came, when the right Moabim came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. This was the Moabim of trumpets. God sent him to buy freedom for us, who were slaves to the law, so that he, uh, so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. This was the Moabim of Passover when Yahushua was put to death. He was sacrificed for the sake of our sins. Verse 7, now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his Air. This will take place on a future trumpets, which will be the celebration of our Harpazo. We're going to be caught up together with our King Yahushua. And so, yes, Yahuwah is holy, but he is also love. Because of his love, what did he do? He gave up his son to die on the cross so that we can have the freedom to overcome the barriers that set us apart from our father, Yahuwah. This is why we can appreciate all the more 
the love of Yahuwah if we appreciate his holiness. Without the holiness of Yahuwah, then the love of Yahuwah becomes cheap, you know. But when we respect and understand the holiness of Yahuwah, then the love of Yahuwah becomes even more remarkable and amazing and astonishing. This is why they go, the two go together, and it is reflected also in the tabernacle, because Yahuwah gave his son, we have access to the Father now, but even before the advent of his son, Yahusha, even during the ancient days of Israel, Yahuwah was giving hints about his upcoming son at the right time, right? What did Yahuwah give to his people Israel? In the book of Exodus 25, 8-9, have the people of Israel build me a holy sanctuary so I can live among them. You must build this tabernacle and its furnishings exactly according to the pattern I will show you. And so even before the advent of our King Yahushua, during the days of ancient Israelites, what did Yahuwah do so that he can live among his people? Bible says that he gave the people of Israel the tabernacle. And through the tabernacle, Yahuwah, our God, can live among his people. However, during the days of the tabernacle, during the days of ancient Israel, there were still certain limitations that prevent people from having a intimate relationship with Yahuwah Abba. Nevertheless, we can already see that Yahuwah, ever since the very beginning, showed the characteristics of holiness and love. And the tabernacle displayed both of that. Because the tabernacle shows us the holiness of the Father because of the sacrifices needed for a person to be atoned for. And also, it showed the love of Yahuwah, even though people who were sinful and had no right thinking about having fellowship with Yahuwah, nevertheless, Yahuwah provided for a way so that people can have a relationship with him. So the tabernacle represented the holiness of Yahuwah and the love of Yahuwah, which is why the tabernacle, in that sense, is a picture of our king Yahushua. Now let's go ahead and look at in more detail the tabernacle, the parts of the tabernacle, and how that points to our king Yahushua, so that we can establish the theme of our studies today, that the tabernacle is a picture of our king Yahushua. The truth is, the whole scripture is all about who? Yahushua. More so, the tabernacle. This is why we need to really look at this in depth, especially as it relates to the celebration and observance of the Day of Atonement. So what is the tabernacle all about? It, well, if you look at the picture, this is the tabernacle. Right? You have the tent of meeting, which is that, that uh, rectangular box-like shape there that has uh, the tent, right? You have the certain elements of it, and this is what it looks like from a, uh, I guess, someone's uh, artistic rendition of it. And it probably does look like that. When we go to Israel, we're going to look at a replica of a tabernacle. So that should be interesting. So it kind of looks like that, right? And so it's like a makeshift uh, temple. It is a portable temple. And so during the days of Israel, when they, when they were going through the wilderness, of course, they were not to situate themselves in one place. They would move from place to place. And so they did not have homes. They lived in tents. 
and even the place where Yahuwah manifests himself is not a permanent temple yet. It is a temporary portable one. It was called the tabernacle. And these are the parts of the tabernacle. You have basically uh, the holy place, the tabernacle itself, which is composed of two parts, right? The holy place and the most holy place. But outside the tent itself, you have the outer courtyard. In the courtyard, you have the altar of burnt offering, the laver, which is a, a basin that contains water. Uh, and then you have the tabernacle itself, separated by a curtain. Inside, you have three things, the table of bread, you have the golden lampstand, you have the incense of altar. And then afterwards, there's another curtain. This is the second curtain, the inner curtain. And inside the inner curtain, you have the covenant box or the Ark of the Covenant. So that's the tabernacle. The tabernacle itself is really uh, that, that tent, which has the two parts, the holy place and the most holy place. Uh, holy place. People, normal worshipers, they could access the courtyard. So if you are not, you and I were alive during the days of ancient Israel, we could go into the courtyard, but we cannot go into the holy place, especially the most holy place, right? That's reserved only for the priests. Then anyway, so this is how the process of the tabernacle system works. And so you go when a person has committed sin, for example, and they want to worship Yahuwah Abba, what they do is they go and proceed to the courtyard and they bring with themselves, they bring with them an animal to sacrifice, which is why it begins with the altar of burnt offering. And so you enter the place, there's only one entrance, which is from the east. You enter it as a worshiper, okay, like myself, for example. I committed sin, I want to worship Yahuwah. I go in there and I bring my own offering. And then the priests are going to burn it in the altar of the tabernacle. However, who gets to slaughter the animal sacrifice? Let's find out the book of Leviticus 1, 3 to 6. If the offering is a burnt offering from the herd, he is to offer a male without defect. He must present it at the entrance uh, to the tent of meeting so that it will be acceptable to Yahuwah. He is to lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering and it will be accepted on his behalf to make atonement for him. He is to slaughter the young bull before Yahuwah, and then Aaron's sons, the priest, shall bring the blood and sprinkle it against the altar on all sides at the entrance to the tent of meeting. He, the worshiper, is to skin the burnt offering and cut it into pieces. And so during the days of ancient Israel, Bible says if you committed sin, and you're going to offer a burnt offering to Yahuwah, first of all, it had to be male without defect. Back then, that was a big sacrifice. You have to understand, not many people had this much livestock, especially if it's from the herd. This is why it's a big deal to offer a burnt sacrifice. This tells us when it comes to sin, it carries a lot of consequence. You know, you have to pay for that sin, and it's very costly to be to commit sin during the days of ancient Israel. You have to get your own sacrifice. Not only that, you enter the courtyard, and you have to kill it. <laughs> and every time you kill it, you know, an innocent animal, and you put your head on it, you kill the animal, you skin it, and you cut it into pieces, 
You know, when you do that, the purpose of it was to remind you of what it took to atone for sin, right? So it cost you a, a, a live animal. You had to kill it and skin it, cut it into pieces. And so brethren, during the days of ancient Israel, people think twice about committing sin because of what they had to do. This tells us about the holiness of our father, Yahuwah. This is what he wanted his people to do to show the people that sin should be taken seriously, not something to kind of pretend it doesn't exist. No, Yahuwah takes sin seriously. The people of Israel were being trained through this system how, how sin is so grievous in the eyes and in the heart of our father, Yahuwah. So after the slaughtering of the animal, what is the purpose of the priests? Well, Leviticus 1, 7 to 8, the sons of Aaron, the priests, are to put fire on the altar and arrange wood on the floor there. And Aaron's sons, the priests, shall arrange the pieces, including the head of the fat, on the burning wood that is on the altar. And so when it comes to worship, it comes to forgiveness of sins, the person who committed the sin, the worshiper, slaughters the animal, but the priests, the sons of Aaron, are the ones who are to lay them on the altar to be burnt for Yahuwah. However, during our time, we don't longer do this. Aren't you thankful? You know, but sometimes when we no longer have to do that, we think we, we, it's very easy to commit sin. We don't think anymore about sin, but we need to understand back then the gravity that sin creates, you know, the kind of damage it brings. And so we still need to keep that in our hearts and our mind. During our time, the Bible says, and by that will, we have been made holy for the sacrifice of the body of Yahushua Christ once for all. The after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties again and again. He offers the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. And so Yahushua, once he became our high priest and offered himself as a sacrifice, burnt sacrifice, the Bible says that we no longer need to have to offer what the priests did during the days of the ancient Israelites. We no longer have to do what our ancient ancestors had to do, right? Because our sins were atoned for by the sacrifice of our king, Yahusha. So that's one way the tabernacle system points to our king, Yahusha. Next, we have the laver, which is the basin of bronze. That is where you have water. The priests who will handle the burning and going to the tent of meeting in the tabernacle itself, they have to cleanse themselves by washing themselves in the water because they need to be ceremonially pure. They need to be ceremonially cleansed. However, in Hebrews 9, 13 and 14, the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of the heifer, we also remember that sacrifice. This was for the purpose of ceremonial cleanness of the the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who were ceremonially unclean, sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. So the sacrifice of our King Yahushua not only atones for our sins by removing the guilt associated with sin, removing the sin, forgiving our sins, it also cleanses us, making us ceremonially clean so that we can perform services offered to our Father, Yahuwah. This is why today we no longer have to wash ourselves 
and make ourselves ceremonially clean by using the red heifer sacrifice. We no longer need that because Yahusha, our king, has done that for us. So what happens next? So after the, the sacrifice on the altar, the priests cleanse themselves. Now next is we they enter the priest this time. The worshiper no longer can, can enter the holy place, but the priest will go in and inside the holy place, what do you have? The table of showbread, the altar of incense, and the golden lampstand. This is kind of how it looks like. Again, it's going to be exciting to kind of see a replica of this when we go to Israel, but this is how it kind of it looks like. On the right, you have the table of bread, and in the center, you have the altar of incense. On the left, you have the, um, the, 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 the light stand. A lampstand. Anyways, uh, what is the purpose of all these three objects? Does it also point to our King Yahushua? What do you think? Absolutely. For example, the table of bread. This is how it looks like. What does that represent? Well, in John 6, 48, our King Yahushua says, I am the bread of life. And so when we place our faith in the King Yahushua, he becomes the source of our nourishment. Bread represents nourishment, and so we ought to depend upon our King Yahusha day by day by day in our life. Well, how about the uh, lampstand? What does that represent? Well, I think that's pretty obvious true. We depend upon Yahusha for strength. We also depend upon Yahusha for light, because Yahusha says, when Yahusha spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And so we depend upon Yahushua for strength. We depend upon our King Yahushua for guidance because he is the light. And so this leads us to one last item in the holy place, which is the altar of incense. How many here know what incense is? It's like a sweet fragrance, right? And so what was the purpose of incense and to what is incense Likened to is, for example, the priest lighting up the incense. A high priest is going to prepare entering the most holy place. Before he does that, he goes through the different ceremony ceremonies, right? But what was what did the incense represent? What was its significance and connection to our King Yahusha? In the book of Psalm 141, 1 to 2, O Yahuwah, I call to you, come quickly to me, hear my voice when I call to you. May my prayer be set before you like incense. May the lifting up of my hands be like the evening sacrifice. So what is likened to incense? It is our prayers. And so when we pray to Yahuwah and we are in right standing with Yahuwah, our prayer is like incense to our Father, a sweet aroma, a sweet fragrance. And what further proves that uh, incense represents the prayers of the people of Yahuwah Elohim. In Revelation chapter 5, verse 8, when we talk about the throne room um, scenario or vision that the Apostle John was given, uh, we read in Revelation 5, verse 8, and when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense which are the prayers of the saints. And so the Bible tells us that incense represents the prayers of the people of 
Yahuwah, something to keep in mind. However, when do our prayers become a sweet fragrance, a sweet sweat smelling incense, right? Not a stench, because there are those who pray, but it doesn't, it's not received by Yahuwah as a sweet aroma or incense. So when do the prayers that we offer to Yahuwah become like a sweet smelling incense offered to our Father Yahuwah? Let's read the book of 2 Corinthians uh, 2, 14, 15. But thanks be to God, for in union, in union with Christ, we are always led by God's prisoners in Christ's victory procession. God uses us to make the knowledge about Christ, because we are witnesses of our King Asia, spread everywhere like a sweet fragrance. For we are like a sweet-smelling incense offered by Christ to God, which spreads among those who are being saved and those who are being lost. So the Bible tells us, quite frankly, that when we are in union with Yahushua, right, our prayers become sweet, it becomes a fragrance that is acceptable and pleasing to Yahuwah when we belong to Yahusha and we are telling people about Yahusha. We are good um, witnesses of our King Yahusha. Then our prayers become a sweet smelling incense that is offered by Christ to our God. And if it's offered by Christ, it is accepted by God. This is why the altar of incense also point to our King Yahusha. So all three of these things that we find in the holy place represent and point to Yahusha. Yahusha says, I am uh, bread. I am living bread. He says, I am the bread, right? He also says, I am the light. And he's also the source by which we become and our prayers become a sweet smelling fragrance, a sweet smelling uh, incense to our Father. Yahuwah. And so after the curtain is open and the high priest walks into the most holy place, what do you find in there? You find, of course, the covenant box or the Ark of the Covenant. This is a model of the Ark of the Covenant. And do you still remember what's the three things inside the Ark of the Covenant? Because all these things are part of the ritual, if you can call it that, the process of atonement that was set up as part of the tabernacle in the most holy place of the tabernacle you find the ark of the covenant but inside the ark of the covenant are three things what are they there's the tablets containing the ten commandments there is the rod of aaron right aaron's rod and then you have a, a golden bowl which has mana mana those are the three things inside the Ark of the Covenant. Question, what is the purpose of these three things? Does it also point to Yahushua? What do you think? I think so, right? For example, the Ten Commandments. Why does that point to our King Yahushua? Well, first of all, the Bible calls Yahushua the Logos. The Logos existed in the very beginning. The Logos was with God. The Logos was divine. So even before the heavens and the earth were created in his mind was Yahusha, and he's called the Word. He is the living Word, the living Torah, and the foundation of the Torah, the Ten Commandments. And so Yahusha is the perfect embodiment of the Ten Commandments. 
And so when we look at the Ten Commandments themselves, Yahushua not only obeyed them, he did so in a way that we need to follow as a good example, because what he did when he obeyed the Ten Commandments, he made it shine. It wasn't just the obedience of the letter, but he exceeded it. He made, he made it shine brightly. And this is what we need to also follow as an example. Which is why in the book of 1 John, chapter 2, 3 to 7, we know that we have come to know him, Yahuwah, if we obey his commands. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Yahusha did. Dear friends, I am not writing you a new command but an old one which you have had since the beginning this old command is the message you have heard and so according to scriptures how can we know the father we know we can know the father through yahushua however if we belong to yahushua and we don't obey the ten commandments can we still know the father no because remember yahushua gives us the opportunity to have fellowship with the Father. But if we waste the opportunity by rejecting the commandments, then we just wasted this opportunity. And so we need to understand our fellowship with Yahushua is an opportunity, the freedom now to obey the 10 commandments freely. This is why Apostle John says you belong to Yahushua, but you don't wanna obey the commands when you don't really know him. If you want to truly know him, then you have to obey the commands, which are the commands referred to by the Apostle John. The commands you already know. The command that was given to you already. Which are they? The Ten Commandments. And this is what Yahushua walked upon. This is what he followed. And so the Bible says, Apostle John says, whoever claims to live in him, to live in Yahuwah, must walk as Yahushua did. And so Yahushua taught and lived out the Ten Commandments because the Ten Commandments point to him. Yahushua is the living Torah, the living Logos, or the living Word. And it's our responsibility if we want to live with Yahuwah, we need to follow the example of our King Yahushua in obeying the Ten Commandments. This is why the Ten Commandments is in the is in the Ark of the Covenant. It's in the Ark of the Covenant, not so that we will reject it and remove it. Who are we to remove? The Ten Commandments from the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant represents who? Yahushua. We're going to have faith in Yahushua? And we're going to throw away the Ten Commandments? That does not make sense, right? When we accept Yahushua and we belong to him, we accept everything in that box. Because the Covenant box represents who? Yahushua. If we accept Yahushua, we accept everything in the Covenant box, which includes the Ten Commandments. What also does it include? The staff of Aaron. Now, what does that represent? Well, the rod represents authority from God, power of God, and pastoral care. And we know that Yahushua in Isaiah 11.1 1, is called the rod. There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. So if we accept Yahushua as our king, if we accept him as our Mashiach, we need to accept his authority. The rod represents authority. 
we must accept the lordship of Yahusha. This is why Yahusha said, before he ascended to heaven, remember his famous words? Everything has been given to me. Authority in heaven and on earth. That's the rod that, that is found in the box. So in the box of the covenant, we are to accept Yahushua as the Ten Commandments. We need to accept the Ten Commandments as part of the, the ministry of Yahushua. We have to accept his authority, that is the rod of Aaron. And also there's another part, the bow of mana. Right? What does that represent? In the book of John 6, 47, 51, I tell you the truth. He who believes, he who believes, what does that mean to believe? Starts with the letter F. Faith, right? He who believes has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your forefathers ate the manna in the desert, yet they die. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. According to the Holy Scriptures, how, what does the mana represent? It represents Yahushua. And so what does it mean that we, we eat the bread, which is the living bread, which is Yahushua? The Bible says, uh, this bread is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. In other words, we need to bring Yahusha inside of us. Because when you eat something, what do you do? You bring what is outside, inside, right? That's what eating is all about. This is why our King Yahusha says, do not think that anything that you eat makes you unclean. No. Yahusha is telling us that if you eat him by bringing him inside of you, it makes you clean, right? It's not physical food that will make you clean or unclean, but Yahusha will not only make you clean, Yahusha is going to give us everlasting life. So do you see the importance of the Ark of the Covenant? It has three things. What were they again? The Ten Commandments. What does that tell us? When we belong to Yahusha, we have so we should obey the Ten Commandments. What else? He is the rod, right? What does that mean? We have to accept His authority. He is Lord and King and Savior. And number three, it's not enough to accept Him as Lord and Savior. We have to bring Him into our life. We need to depend on Him daily. This is why the Ark of the Covenant is so important. It tells us how we can have fellowship with who? Yahuwah. This is why the Ark of the Covenant represents fellowship, relationship with Yahuwah. But that cannot be unless we have the Ten Commandments, unless we have Yahusha and depend on Him. But before all that, an important part of the uh, Ark of the Covenant is the mercy seat. It's called the mercy seat because that is where the blood of the bull, the blood of the goat, is sprinkled seven times for the forgiveness of the high priest and his family and for the forgiveness of the people of Israel, right? So atonement is made right there in the mercy seat. Why is it called the mercy seat? Because Yahuwah, because of his love and mercy, love and mercy go together, instead of the people of Israel who, who are supposed to be punished, instead of them being punished, 
who deserve the wrath of God, Yahuwah provides a way for reconciliation. The people of Israel became enemies, but Yahuwah in his mercy provided a way through the shedding of blood so that people can reconcile with Yahuwah. And so why does the mercy seat point to our King Yahusha? In Romans 5, 8 to 11, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us, since we have now been justified by his blood. How much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Yahushua Christ, through whom, through whom, we have now received reconciliation. So the mercy seat represents the mercy and love of Yahuwah so that the people who are sinful and deserve the wrath of the Father can reconcile with Yahuwah through a sacrifice and the blood poured on the mercy seat. This took place once every year during the days of ancient Israel, the day of atonement. But when Yahusha presented himself as the high priest and he offered his own blood and guess what we no longer need these um sacrifices that the high priest and the priests of israel during ancient times were performing because yahuwah gave up his son christ yahusha and so this shows us the holiness of yahuwah and at the same time the love of yahuwah in giving up his son and so the tabernacle displays the holiness of Yahuwah. There's no such thing as free sin. Every sin has to be atoned for, right? The holiness of Yahuwah. And also shows us the love of Yahuwah. When we understand the holiness of Yahuwah, we appreciate all the more the love of Abba. And this is the tabernacle. And it's a picture of Yahusha. Because our King Yahusha was the sacrifice that makes us holy. And it is a sacrifice given to us because of the love of Yahuwah. This is why the tabernacle is a picture of our king, Yahushua. And this is perfectly illustrated in words. The famous words of our king, Yahushua, perfectly captures this idea that the tabernacle is a picture of Yahushua himself. In John 14, 6, Yahushua answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The only way for the Father during the days of ancient Israel was through the tabernacle. The tabernacle was the place where the people of Israel saw the glory, the presence, and power of Yahuwah. But because of Yahusha, the tabernacle is no longer needed. He's become the living tabernacle. He's become the living Ark of the Covenant. Because through Yahusha, we find the way, the truth, and the life. We have freedom. We have freedom. That's why in Galatians 4, the Bible says he purchased us freedom. Remember, promoting the Passover, uh, the first promoting the trumpets, he was born. And in Passover, he was, uh, became a sacrifice so that we can receive freedom. And then in the future day of trumpets, we are to become heirs of our father, Yahuwah. So we have freedom purchased by our King Yahusha when he became the sacrifice that covered all the sacrifices during the days of the Day of Atonement. And so we now have freedom to worship 
And why do we have, what is this freedom to worship all about? Well, if you still remember um, the boundaries of the people when it comes to worshiping and approaching Yahuwah back then, we have a, we gain a deeper appreciation of what King Yahushua was able to do for us. In Hebrews 10 verse 1, the old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow, a dim preview of the good things to come, not the good things themselves. The sacrifices under that system were repeated again and again, year after year, but they were never able to provide perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. And so what was practiced during the days of the ancient Israelites, it never achieved perfect cleansing, which is why it was repeated again and again and again, year by year. However, when our King Yahusha came, he changed all that. What do you mean he changed all that? Well, if you still remember, during the days of ancient Israel, do you know what the process was for atonement uh, to be achieved? Hebrews 9, 1-3. The first covenant between God and Israel had regulations for worship in the place of worship here on earth. Uh, there were two rooms in that tabernacle. In the first room were a lampstand, a table, and sacred loaves of bread on the table. We know this, right? This room was called the holy place. Then there was a curtain, and behind the curtain was the second room called the most holy place. We show this to you in the picture of the tabernacle. So the tabernacle itself has two rooms, the holy place and the most holy place. And there were regulations for worship. There were things done in the tabernacles when it comes to approaching Yehovah Abba. And how often, you know, what would happen in these rooms? Four to five in that room were a gold incense altar and a wooden chest called the Ark of the Covenant, which was covered with gold on all sides. Inside the Ark were a gold jar containing manna, Aaron's staff, a rod that sprouted leaves, and the stone tablets of the covenant. Above the ark were the cherubim of divine glory, whose wings stretched out over the ark's cover, the place of atonement. But we cannot explain these, these things in detail right now. And so the Bible tells us what we studied already, this time in the New Testament. So Apostle Paul writing, having knowledge of the ways Yahuwah received worship during the tabernacle made by the hands of men, right? And so Apostle Paul is making some connections and what does he say after that? When these things were all in place, the, priestly, the priests regularly entered the first room as they performed their religious duties. So this is what they do every day. But only the high priest ever entered the most holy place and only once a year. When was that? The day of atonement. And so for much of the year, except for one day, for the whole year, the priests would minister in the holy place. But only once a year does he go to the most holy place. And the one who enters the most holy place is the high priest. And he always offered blood for his own sins and for the sins of the people he had committed in ignorance. But these regulations, the Holy Spirit revealed, that the entrance to the most holy place was not freely open as long as the tabernacle and the system it represented were still in Use. This was the first covenant, but Yahushua was the, became the mediator of a better covenant because the people were faulty, right? People were sinners. Yahushua dies, becomes the high priest, and offers himself as a sacrifice, 
And so what happened after that? So Christ has now become the high priest over all the good things that have come. He has, he has entered that greater, more perfect tabernacle in heaven, which was not made by human hands and is not part of the created world. With his own blood, not the blood of goats and calves, he entered the most holy place once for all time and secured our redemption forever. So the Bible says there's a tabernacle in heaven as well. This is why when Yahuwah said to Moses, create a tabernacle according to the pattern, it was the pattern that is in heaven. So Yahushua in heaven, he becomes the high priest and he offers his own blood. And because this was done in heaven, a tabernacle in heaven, not on earth, but in heaven, but the pattern is the same. In heaven, because he offered his own blood, the Bible says what the result was eternal. Because heaven is eternal, Yahusha is eternal, and so his redemption is perfect. And so because of that perfect redemption, Yahusha, when he entered the most holy place in heaven, once and for all, he secured our redemption forever. This is why, brothers and sisters, we cannot emphasize enough how blessed and fortunate we are because of Yahusha. Can you understand, brethren, just how great our King Yahushua did here? He obtained for us eternal redemption. This is why there's no need for us to repeat year after year, day after day, all these different sacrifices for the atonement of our sins. And because of this, what are we allowed to do? This is the best part of all. Yes, our sins are cleansed. Yes, our sins have been atoned for. But what is the best part? Let's read Hebrews 9, uh, 10, 19, 22. We have then, my friends, complete freedom to go into the most holy place. Before, who was the only one who could go there? The high priest. The high priest. And not only that, he goes there how many times? Just once a year. And so when our King Yahushua in the tabernacle in heaven offered his own blood in the most holy place in heaven, what happened because of that? Bible says we now have complete freedom to go into the most holy place by means of the death of Yahushua. He opened for us a new way, a living way through the curtain, that is through his own body. We have a great priest in charge of the house of God. So let us now come near to God with a sincere heart and a sure faith with hearts that have been purified from a guilty conscience and the bodies washed with clean water. What is the best part of having our sins cleansed, atoned for? The Bible says we now have complete freedom. And so what is the invitation of Yahuwah? Yahuwah says, come near, right? This is what Apostle Paul is speaking to the disciples of Yahushua. You have to draw yourself near Yahuwah. He has given you freedom now. Before that curtain separates the most holy place from the people of Yahuwah. Now, because of the love of Yahuwah, he has removed that curtain and he has invited us to have a relationship with him, to draw near him, right? Brethren, we need to understand just how special that is, how great a blessing that is. And to express our thanksgiving, to express our appreciation. What does Apostle Paul tell us? Hebrews 10. Let us not give up the habit of meeting together. 
as some are doing, so let us encourage one another all the more since you see that the day of the Lord is coming nearer. For there is no longer any sacrifice will take away sins if we purposely go on sinning after the truth has been made known to us. Instead, all that is left is to wait in fear for the coming judgment and the fierce fire which will destroy those who oppose God. Yahuwah gave up his son. Yahusha became high priest and gave his own blood. What is the expectation of Yahuwah and Yahusha? We will not forsake the meeting of ourselves together. Why? Because now we have access. Now we can enter the most holy place in fellowship with our father, Yahuwah. This was not possible during the days of ancient Israel. This was not possible during the days of the prophets. It's possible now. Why are we going to forsake the worship service? When we meet together, what is the meaning of all this? It means when we meet together for worship, Yahuwah will be there. Yahusha will be there. And we can have fellowship with Him and experience the power and glory of our Father. This is why we must not neglect worship. However, the manner of our worship must be fitting, right? Because there are those who attend worship, but they don't really worship. Because we have this opportunity for true worship, let us make sure that we are able to worship in a way that pleases the Father. And the tabernacle reveals that. How? The tabernacle reveals the pattern of worship. Do you still remember what a person has to go through? Right? First is the courtyard, and then the laver, and then the table of showbread, then the lampstand, and this is the altar, and then finally the uh, most holy place, which is the Ark of the Covenant. So the parts of the tabernacle reveal the manner by which we ought to worship Yahuwah. We've been given freedom to go to the most holy place. And so how must we prepare ourselves? Because there are those who say, okay, we've been redeemed by the blood of Yahushua. We can freely go into access of the Father. That's true. But we have to keep in mind, yes, Yahuwah has given up his son. But we have to still keep in mind, Yahuwah is God. He is holy. He's holy. And so our approach of Yahuwah in worship ought to reflect the pattern shown in tabernacles. And so what is that pattern? What is that pattern of worship shown in the tabernacle system? Well, there's the altar, the laver, table of bread, lampstand, altar of incense, ark of the covenant. And so how do we begin our worship? Well, we have to have intent. Our intent of worship should be to sacrifice ourselves, right? Because there are people who come to worship Yahuwah but they're thinking, you know, what can I get from Yahuwah? Right? How, what can I get from Yahuwah? I'm worshiping today so that He can bless me, which is good. We want the blessing of Yahuwah. But what should be our intent? It should be to present ourselves, to present our offer, to present our hymn our praise, and ourselves as a living sacrifice. So our intent, our motivation, that should already be expressed. We're not worshiping God because someone's pressuring us or someone is making us, or because we're afraid that if we don't go, we're gonna get all these troubles and problems, right? It should be because we want to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice. And how should we prepare ourselves? The lover represents renewing our life, cleansing ourselves, washing, making ourselves clean with water, right? And so even our intent, our preparation should be there. 
What also should be seen in us when we approach for worship. Table of bread represents spiritual nourishment. We need to eat the body of Yahusha. We need to eat the words of Yahusha. Let Yahusha in us. In times of worship, we can let Yahusha in us. He can, we can invite him in our midst all the time. The lampstand represents the light of Yahusha. We should ask for guidance from our king, Yahusha. And we need to offer praises and prayers, which represents the incense. And once we do all that, we prepare our hearts to feel the presence of Yahuwah, which is the Ark of the Covenant. You know, there are people who attend worship service, but they don't feel the presence of Yahuwah, right? That's because they don't go through the process. You have to go through the process. You have to prepare your mind and your heart. And so we have to have the right intent. We have to prepare our life. We have to depend on the nourishment of our King Yahusha, seek his guidance, offer sincere praise and prayer. When we do all that, then we will have that most holy place experience. We will have the Ark of the Covenant experience, the presence of Yahuwah. And so brethren, it's not just a matter of showing up. It's not just a matter of logging into Zoom, but it's preparing ourselves for worship so that we can receive the presence of Yahuwah. During the days of ancient Israel, that's what they did. And so Yahuwah lived among them. The tabernacle was filled with the glory and the presence of Yahuwah. It guided them to direct where they would go, when they would stop, where they would go, right? And so everything they did was guided by that tent, that tabernacle, because it represented the, the, uh, the glory and the, the guidance of Yahuwah. This is why whenever they would settle in one place and rest for a while, they would have tents, but the tents would be surrounding the tabernacle. The tabernacle is at the center, right? And the people of Israel would surround the tabernacle. And so that the tabernacle represents um, Yahuwah's presence. The tabernacle is a picture of Yahusha. But and, and another way to show that the tabernacle points to Yahusha is how the people of Israel encamp around the tabernacle. Did you know that there were strict guidelines? Yahuwah gave command concerning how the tribes of Israel would camp because at the center is the tabernacle and the tribes, the tents of the different uh, divisions, the different tribes of Israel, they would camp around the tabernacle according to the command of Yahuwah found in the book of Numbers chapter 2, 1 to 2. We talked about this in detail in one of our DHPs, uh, but we'll give you a snapshot of this. In Numbers 2, 1 to 2, now Yahuwah spoke to Moses and to Aaron saying, the sons of Israel shall camp each by his own standard, that's the flag, every, every uh, division had a, a, a standard, a flag, with the banners of their father's households, they shall camp around the tent of meeting at a distance. So we have the tent, right? The tent, that's the tabernacle, at the center. And according to the instruction, we are to Israel to camp according to different divisions. There were four divisions in the book of Numbers, and the different divisions are going to camp north, east, south, and west, okay? And each major division is going to have a standard or a flag or an emblem. And so it starts with the tabernacle. Wherever the tabernacle stops, that's where they camp. Okay? And so the first one to camp 
because they're going to be doing this orderly, not disorderly, which tells us Yahuwah God is a God of order, not disorder. And so there's the compass. We have north going up, east going to the right, west going to the left, south going to uh, the bottom. Okay, so the first one is the, the camp of Judah. The camp of Judah represents, there are three tribes in that camp, Judah, Issachar, Zebulon, right? And they're to occupy east, not southeast, not northeast, but east, directly east, right? And then to the south, directly south from the tabernacle, is Reuben, Simeon, and Gad. And to the west is Ephraim. Uh, Manasseh and Benjamin, and to the, uh, to the north would be the camp of Dan, Dan, Nephtali, and Asher. So each of the camp has a selected leader. For example, the camp of Judah is Judah, the camp of Reuben is Reuben, camp of Ephraim is Ephraim, the camp of Dan is Dan. Make sense? Right? You notice each of them had their own um, standard or flag represented by the leader. So the camp of Judah was represented by a lion, and the camp of Reuben, a man, the camp of Ephraim, an ox or a calf, the camp of Dan, an eagle. So each of the, the tabernacle, by the way, the Levites occupy the center, they're working the tabernacle, right? So the, the Levites are in the center. But each of the different camps that go to the east, north, west, and south, they have their own emblems, a flag or standard. Judah represents lion, Reuben, a man, Ephraim represents an ox or a cow or a calf, and Dan represents the eagle. Does that look familiar to you? Does that look familiar? What does that point to? Does it not point to the gospel message? Well, what do you mean? Well, when you look at these creatures, does it remind you of something that was shown in the throne of God to the Apostle John in Revelation 4 verse 6? Before the throne, there was a sea of glass like crystal. And in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in front and in back. There were living creatures. And there were four of them. And the Bible tells us what they looked like. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a face like a man. The fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under his wings. And so the following creatures, they're in the throne room of Yahuwah, is described as a lion, an ox, a man, a flying eagle. In other translations, instead of an ox, it's called a calf, a lion, a calf, a man, a flying eagle. And so we have symbolism here in the book of Revelation. A lion, an ox, a man, and a flying eagle. The lion represents who? Our king, Yahusha. An ox represents service. A calf represents sacrifice. A man represents human beings. Flying eagle represents ascension to heaven. And so this tells us the gospel message. Our King Yahushua came to serve, to be sacrificed, so that human beings can ascend to heaven. That's the gospel message. And it was found in the different camps, which was occupied by different tribes of Israelites, that was presented long ago during the days of Moses. And it points to the gospel message. This is why the tabernacle at the center, it really is a picture of our king, Yahushua. But there's, not, there's something else even more remarkable about this. Because when you look at scripture, 
it seems to me, you know, when you look at the gospel message, it's found everywhere. This is why people do not have any excuse. The gospel message is found in the very first word of the Bible. Remember, Bereshit? It's found in the genealogy of Adam. Remember? It's found in the crimson worm. It's found in the, the great signs in the heavens. It's found in the two witnesses. They even acted it out. The gospel message is throughout the prophecies. So it's all over. It's even here in the way the camp and the tribes of Israel form around the tabernacle, who is a picture of our king, Yahushua. You notice that the first camp, the one on the east, has 180,000 um, uh, people, or 186,000 people, or 186,000 of the men, the, uh, the armed men, the warriors, the soldiers. So that's 186,000, which is the most. Next, we have 157,000, 151,000, which is up to the north and to the south. And the least one is the one at the, uh, the west side, right? And if you were to place them together, surrounding the tabernacle, according to this configuration, I wonder how it would look like. Do, do you know who actually saw that, an aerial view of how the camps look like around the tabernacle? You know who saw that? Let's read Numbers 24, 105. When Balaam, remember Balaam? When Balaam saw that it pleased Yahuwah to bless Israel, he did not go as to other times to seek omens, but he set his face toward the wilderness, and Balaam lifted up his eyes and saw Israel camping tribe by tribe. And the Spirit of God came upon him. He took up his discourse and said, The oracle of Balaam, the son of Beor, and the oracle of the man whose eyes whose eye is open, the oracle of him who hears the word of God, who sees the vision of the Almighty falling down, yet having his eyes uncovered, how fair are your tents, O Jacob, your dwellings, O Israel. This is interesting, because Balaam was hired to put a curse on Israel, right? But Balaam was... Yahuwah, he basically kind of took Balaam and showed him that what he was doing was wrong. Which is why Yahuwah interfered with Balaam's plans in a wonderful way. And this is one of them. When Balaam saw Israel, when they were camping tribe by tribe, he saw something. And once he saw it, Yahuwah sent his spirit and his eyes began to open. And then he says, by falling down, how fair are your tents, O Jacob, your dwellings, O Israel. I wonder what he saw, which made him see the work of Yahuwah. Well, if you are to go from, you know, if he was watching from a top and looking, seeing an aerial view of the camps of Israel. And if you remember how they were camped, right? It, was, it says they have to camp east, south, north, and west. Not northeast, not southeast, not northwest, not southwest. So you eliminate these areas. And so if you're going to camp according to the ordinance Yahuwah gave on Moses, and if you consider the numbers for each camp, 
From an aerial view, this is how it's going to look like. Right? That's how it looks like from up top. And so this points to the redemptive work of our king, Yahusha. And so the tabernacle, together with how they were camped around the tabernacle, pointed to the work of our king, Yahusha. I wonder if Balaam were alive today and he would like to go to maybe Bulacan or wherever. I wonder what an aerial view would look like. Maybe it looks something like this. <laughs> Very different. But during those days, this is what they saw. Right? They saw the work. He saw the work of Yahuwah in advance. It was going to be this work of redemption. His son is going to take place, take the place of what's in the center. Yahushua is going to take place. Take the place of what is in that center where the people of Yahuwah can have fellowship with him through his sacrifice. This is why the tabernacle is a picture of Yahushua. Because Yahushua will be the sacrifice of Yahuwah in the tabernacle in heaven so that we can have fellowship with him. And so brethren, that is the message of the Day of Atonement. Yahuwah on the Day of Atonement shows us his holiness and at the same time his love. Because he did this, he has an expectation from all of us. What is Yahuwah's expectation from us? Recipients of his love so that we can be holy to access the Father in his holiness. Let's read the book of 1 John. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us. And his love is brought to full expression in us. Brothers and sisters, let us put into practice the message of the Apostle John in these words. This tells us about the holiness of Yahuwah. The holiness of Yahuwah is such that he cannot see evil. He cannot bear evil in his presence. This is why atonement has to remain for sin. But at the same time, it shows us the love of Yahuwah. The Bible says because he wants eternal fellowship with us. Yahuwah in his love to satisfy his holiness and righteousness. He gave up who? His son. He gave up his son to be a sacrifice to take away sin. So by his blood, we now have satisfied his requirement based on his holiness so that we can have fellowship with him. And so because of our belonging to our King Yahushua, we can receive the love of Abba and Yahuwah can dwell in us. But for that to happen is another requirement. Yes, we need to be in Yahushua. We need to have faith in him. But he also says we have to have love. Right? This is what he expects from us. We have been given this because of his love. Now Yahuwah requires us that we spread that love, that we love others. And when we practice that kind of love, the Bible says God will live in us. He will tabernacle in us through Yahushua if we have that love. This is why 
if you want the full expression of Yahuwah in us, which you practice love. This is the message of the Apostle John. Do you know where he got that message from? Let's read the final passage of our studies today in the book of John. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Where did Apostle John get this message that we should be practicing love for one another? He got that from Yahushua. Our King Yahushua tells his disciples, a new commandment I give to you. Why is this a new commandment? Does it mean in the old commandment there was no command to love? There was. What makes this new? Yahushua says, love one another. What do you say? As I have loved you. In other words, our King Yahushua is telling us you should love each other not the way pagans love each other. You should love each other as I have loved you. And he would show how much he loved us by giving up his life for us. You see, brethren, Yahuwah loved us, gave up his sin. Yahushua loved us, gave up his sin. Now it's our turn. We gotta pass on that love. We have to pass on that love. Why? Because when we love each other, the way Yahushua loves us, the Bible says, and you are my disciples. Brethren, we're going to celebrate the day of atonement. How can we prepare ourselves to celebrate the day of atonement? Let us appreciate the holiness and the love of Yahuwah Abba, which should move us to complete repentance, offering ourselves as a living sacrifice, so that we can practice love for one another. We do that and we are preparing ourselves to receive the blessings of our Father Yahuwah. Let us stand and we shall pray together. Almighty Yahuwah, thank you so much because we know that even though we are sinners, because you are holy and righteous, we cannot possibly approach you on our own. No matter how good we may be, and how perfect we may think we are. If we have not been atoned for, we cannot have a relationship with you. Because of your love, you gave up your son. You removed the barrier. You removed the limitations. You removed the tent. Now we have complete freedom to be close to you, to fellowship with you. Father, help us to practice the love that you have shown in our desire to repent from our sins. May we understand the importance of love, that by your love, loving Abba, we can be embraced by you and enjoy your presence forevermore. Our King Yahushua, you are the living Torah. You are the living bread. You are the light. We follow you. Embrace us, strengthen us, as we prepare for the Day of Atonement because we will remember your sacrifices, what you have done for the sake of your servants. Thank you for giving up your life that we may live. And so we promise you, loving Mashiach, we will live our life for you, to honor you and to honor Abba. 
Father, thank you so much. In the days ahead, continue, please, to help us in our preparation to truly repent from our sins. But as we approach you, we shall receive the power of your forgiveness. We shall receive the power of your presence that will strengthen our faith. We ask everything, loving Father, in the name of our Lord and Savior, Yahusha HaMashiach. Amen. Okay, brothers and sisters, uh, thank you for attending the Bible study for tonight. Before we go ahead and part ways, just a reminder concerning our worship service schedule. So tomorrow, Friday and Saturday, we have a regular worship service. And on Tuesday is our next special occasion, special worship service, which is the Day of Atonement special. Uh, so for the worship services on Friday and Saturday, we're going to teach a lesson to prepare us further for our Day of Atonement special worship service. And on Sunday, we have the Feast of Tabernacles, the first uh, celebration by the uh, Feast of Tabernacles. And then on Sunday, which I about to have, and then on the 16th, we have our last, the eighth day celebration of Tabernacles, uh, which is on the 16th. And let us continue to prepare for the Day of Atonement. Let us reflect, let us repent, humble ourselves, and prepare to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice to Yahuwah through Yahushua. This is our lesson for tonight. May Yahuwah Abba and Yahushua Hamashiach bless.